Well, would you like to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to uh, the book of Nehemiah? We're in chapter 3 of Nehemiah this morning. And we're reading through the whole chapter. Yes, all of those names. You know, some people get scared about uh, praying in front of people. I get scared about reading all these strange names in front of people and all the mistakes I'm going to make as I do it. All right. Nehemiah 3, verse 1, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to them, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshalem, the son of Besodeah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Moronothite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. And next to them, Uziel, the son of Hahiah, goldsmiths, repaired. <clears throat> next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of the half, the half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramaph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaneah, repaired. And Melakijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section, and the Tower of the Ovens. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the Dun Gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakram, repaired the Dun Gate. And he rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhozah, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah 
of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. And after him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezar, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. And after them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. <clears throat> and after him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. And Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of, at the, court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. And after him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. And after them, Zadok the son of Imma repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shalemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. And after him, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning uh, for your word to us. This morning we read a whole list of people's names and the work they did for you and your kingdom. Lord, we pray this morning that um, as imposing a passage as this is in terms of pronouncing all those names, the fact of the matter is, Lord, is that this is uh, your record to us of people who worked faithfully for you and for your kingdom. And we pray that we might learn much from them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is a tendency to, when you come across passages like this in Scripture, chapters that contain just a whole bunch of almost unpronounceable names, that it's easy just to skip over them, isn't it? 
Yep, think, okay, yep, good Lord. We'll move on to the next section. I think uh, for those of you who still have, who, anyone still have one of the, the hard copies of a phone book in their house? Oh, there's a couple around. Yeah, we don't have them anymore. But generally speaking, you know, we wouldn't just pick up a phone book and read that because it'd be as, as, as boring as watching paint dry, wouldn't it? And the names in the phone book would mean absolutely nothing to us. I mean, there's no connection with those people and that sort of thing. And I think it's a little bit like when we come to passages like this in Scripture. It's like reading a phone book. All these names, but people who just we have no connection with, we just you know, think, well, okay, well, Lord, what can we learn from passages like this in the Scriptures? But the thing is, is that if we believe that this is the word of God, and I pray that that's the case amongst all of us, if this is the word of God, then God made sure that these names were recorded. God made sure that these names were recorded. I mean, the Bible is, of course, inspired by God. And therefore, what is in the Bible is there because God wanted it to be. So all these names of people today in this particular passage are there for our reading today because God wanted their names recorded in Scripture. You know, chapters like this then tell me, tell me a couple of important truths. The first is this, is that our God is aware of all that happens in our lives and all that we do in our lives, especially that which we do for him and for his kingdom in serving him. It's interesting, if you go to the last book of the, of the Bible, you look in uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you have a series of letters that uh, are written to the churches in that day and particularly around Turkey. And it's interesting to read Jesus' words to the churches because Jesus says in many, many instances in those letters, I know your deeds, I know your works, Jesus says. The eye of our God is on us every minute of every day. He knows everything about us and he knows all that we do and all, especially all that we do for him. God is aware. Not only that, I think this passage clearly points to the fact that God values our work for him. God values our work for him. You know, I think you know, one of the things which can be easy to sort of feel in a church, particularly a larger church, is to feel a little bit underappreciated for the work that we do. You know, sometimes we, uh, we labour away faithfully and, uh, and sacrificially in, in many instances and and, uh, and, it, and it goes unnoticed by so many people. And we can feel underappreciated and feel as though, what's the point? Well, this passage here, like you know, we find in the scripture today, it reminds us that even though the, the eyes of human beings may not see what, what goes on, the eyes of our great and God and Heavenly Father knows. And he values that which we do for him. Our efforts do not go unnoticed by our God. We come across this particular passage today, I think one of the things which I want to stress is that passages like this are extremely important for us as a church, as God's church today. And you might ask why. Well, I think it's a number of reasons, but one of them is this. It's because it's a timely reminder of why we are here in this particular point in history. Just as these people were, you know, who lived, you know, so many thousand, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, you know, they were important in, that, in their particular day, in their particular time, and the work that they were doing for God. We too are important in God's plans and purposes for his world and, uh, and for his eternal plans. It's a reminder to us today as God's church, as God's people, of why we exist 
of what we as part of God's church are meant to be about, both as individuals but also collectively. That we are serving God first and foremost. We serve God together wholeheartedly and and we have the, the joy of being able to do that and to be his faithful witnesses in our world today displaying his glory. Just as the people in Nehemiah's day were God's witnesses back then, displaying the power and the glory of God as they went about their tasks, we ourselves have got the incredible privilege of being used by God in displaying his power and glory to our world as we carry out his work. That's a fantastic, you know, passages like this are a fantastic encouragement of what can be accomplished when the people of God work together for the glory of God. As we look through this passage, I'm going to highlight four things today, four key ways which really reflect how we can be effective in this mission of God and, uh, and how we can be faithful in that. And the first is, is this, is that these people, as we read this passage, we see that the people of God in Nehemiah's day were united or, uh, around a common purpose. They embraced this common purpose. Because nothing galvanises people more together than a common purpose or goal. You know, back in January 2011, we talked about the rain last night. Back in January 2011, Brisbane experienced rainfall that uh, they hadn't experienced in a long, long time. Probably going back to probably the early 70s in, in, my, uh, in my, um, my reckoning. This rain inundated not only Brisbane but many parts of the state. But here in our town, what happened, what happened? There was this incredible amount of rainfall over this short period of time and there was massive flooding and loss of property and loss of life here in our own city. One of the most remarkable and positive things to come out of that tragedy, though, was the way in which the people of Brisbane then banded together to support those affected and to clean up the huge mess that was left behind. And I know a number of people here in this church actually went along and actually went to those places and actually helped clean up those particular areas and support the people in that. I mean, there was this incredible army of volunteers that, you know, from all over the city and, and, and from surrounding areas. In fact, people travelled from other parts of the state to come in and actually help now, people from all walks of life, from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, young and old people alike, all came together. And the people of Brisbane were brought together in ways that had not been seen in an incredibly long time. And they worked side by, worked side, by side and, and shoulder to shoulder, up to their knees in mud oftentimes, to accomplish this goal of reclaiming the city and, and, and rebuilding the city. And that's what we see here in this passage today, an example of that. Last week we saw how Nehemiah rallied the people of Judah. He, you know, he said, look, he said, I want you to look at the mess around about you. If you go back to, uh, to chapter 2, he says in verse 17, it says, uh, Nehemiah says, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. And then he says, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah urged the people to look around them to see the state of the gates and the walls and to get them to sort of understand that, you know what, this is not just a reflection on us as people, but it's actually a reflection upon the God whom we serve, our God whom we love and whom we worship. He said, come, let us restore and rebuild this city so that we will no longer live in shame and our God's name, will no longer be held in, shame, you know, held in shame by those around about us, by our neighbours. 
And the people, you know, they embrace this, this vision. We see that in, in, in verse 18 of chapter 2 when they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. These people were united around this common purpose, this common goal, this common vision that had been presented to them by Nehemiah. And so what happened then is that they then exerted all of their efforts and all of their energies in this rebuilding task. They set their minds and their, uh, their focus, their attention and all of their strength to doing that, which of, that, doing that repairing of the wall and gates of Jerusalem. You know, for us as God's people today, it's important that we all know what it is that we are meant to be doing for God, that we are meant to be achieving, what our purpose, what our goal is for God. And we need to embrace that. And of course, you know, over the, uh, you know, over the years, but, more, but again, just emphasising again more recently, we've been focusing on the fact that our purpose, both individually and collectively, is to bring glory to God through making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our primary mission in life, to be mature disciples of Jesus ourselves and then to help other people to be the same. And in doing that process, or in working in that process, displaying the power and the glory of God in our lives and in the lives of those around about us. Because when it comes down to it, it can only be a work of the Spirit of God that brings about the things of God in people's lives, isn't it? Unless the Lord builds the house, yes. But as we see people's lives change and transform, we see the, the power of God at work and we're able to give glory and thanks and praise to him and point people to say, you know what, that is, there, there's a, a great example of the power of God changing that person's life. He's changed my life. And I pray that each and every one of us have got a testimony about that today of the way in which God has been at work in our lives and changed our lives for the better. Our mission is to make mature disciples of Jesus, to be mature disciples of Jesus ourselves and to help others to be the same. And, of course, we've been reflecting on what is a disciple. And we, if you reflect on Matthew 4.19, it very clearly you know, points out the fact that a disciple is someone who is for, first and foremost following Jesus. This person firstly needs to be someone who, is, is, who has repented of their sin, who have come under the authority of Jesus and said, Lord, the way that I've been going is wrong, and now I'm actually going to choose to follow your way. A disciple is first and foremost someone who is following Jesus and is submitted to Jesus' authority. A, per, a disciple is also someone who is being changed by Jesus. That is, there is the work of the Holy Spirit that is evident in that per person's life, helping them become more like Jesus in terms of their, their motives and their attitudes and their behaviours and that sort of thing. The fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. A person who is being changed by Jesus. And finally, a disciple is someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. Matthew 4.19, you know, Jesus is walking along the, uh, the shores of, of Lake Galilee and he says to, uh, to uh, Simon and uh, he says to his brother Andrew, he says to them, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that, in that verse there we see this, this condensed kind of summary, if you like, of what a disciple is. Follow me. So a disciple is following Jesus. And I will make you, Jesus says, a disciple is being changed by Jesus. 
And Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, which is committed to the mission of Jesus. Jesus is about changing lives and bringing people into his kingdom. Just as the people of Nehemiah's day exerted all their efforts and energies into the task of rebuilding the walls and gates of the city of Jerusalem, we ourselves today are called to exert all of our efforts and all of our energies into making disciples and seeing God's kingdom built and his name exalted and praised. Amen. People were, were united around and embraced a common purpose. Not only that, the people were also, they also had a, a clear understanding of who it was they were serving, who they were working for. You know, if you, uh, a cursory reading of this would see that the people were working for Nehemiah, but that's not the case. Yes, Nehemiah was the one whom God had put in a leadership role over them, but first and foremost, these people were serving God. Look at verse 1 in our passage this morning. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. It's interesting that the work should start at the sheep gate. The sheep gate itself was the, the main gate located closest to the temple there in Jerusalem. It was the gate located closest to the temple. And the reason it was called the sheep gate is because it was through that gate that they would bring in all of the sheep that were used in the sacrificial services around the temple. They were the, they were the sacrifices that were made there at the temple. As we see the work there beginning at the sheep gate we see, and, and there next to the temple, we see that, uh, that, that that place was the focal point of people's worship of God, the temple there. And so that reminded the people that, you know what, as we start this work, we start recognising that, that, that this is for God, that God is right there in our midst and we're doing it for him first and foremost. The priests, we're told, as they worked at rebuilding the, the, uh, the gate there, once they, they uh, rebuilt it, they consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. The gate and the wall that they had built, they consecrated it to the Lord. In other words, it was a recognition that this was just more than, this was more than a, just a, a civil engineering project. This was, in fact, work for God. This was sacred work. This was holy work. Because it was work for God. It was a reminder that God would, must come first in our lives. Colossians 20, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever we do in our lives, no matter how mundane it is, no matter how you know, sort of insignificant it may think, you know, we may see it in our eyes and in our minds, we do everything first and foremost for God. You know, parents, as you raise your kids, you know, as you make lunches, as you do the dishes, all that sort of stuff, you know, it may think you know, the, the most mundane, insignificant stuff in our lives. And yet, if we do it for the Lord, then you know what? It brings a whole new value and a whole new purpose you know, to those sorts of things. 
No matter what we do in our lives, if we do it for God, we should be doing it for God first and foremost. If we do it for God, it adds a whole different dimension to it, doesn't it? Everything. It says whatever you do, regardless of, of, of what it is, of where you are, do it, work heartily for the Lord, and he will give us the reward in his due time. The people knew who they were serving. You know, one of the things which I, you know, it's sort of, as I reflected on in that, you know, sometimes, you know, um, if we're actually sort of doing something for someone who, who we perhaps look up to, or someone of, you know, fairly, someone of significance in our lives, someone whom we really love and, and, and appreciate and, 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 and care for, we can sometimes do a really, we try to, that we try to do it extra, extra, uh, extra well. That's, that's, yeah, that's what I'm sort of trying to say. We try to do a better job on that sort of stuff, don't we, for those people whom we really love and appreciate? Who better than to work for than God? And who better than to exert all of our efforts and our energies for God in all that we do? People knew who they were working for. The people also worked together in unity. One of the things that, I don't know if you sort of picked it up as we read through this passage, over and over in this passage you read the words, and next to them, such and such built, and next to them, and next to them, and next to him. You know, it's just this wonderful picture of these people working shoulder to shoulder there at this task, all together, collectively together, working at this one common goal, each contributing their bit to the overall work. It reminds me, you know, that, that, that although we are individuals, and you know, our society today places so much emphasis on, on being an individual. But as the church, yes, we are individuals, but, but the thing we need to remember is that we are interdependent. We're not independent, we are interdependent. In other words, we rely upon one another as we serve God and as we live for him. We need to be mutually dependent upon each other as we all depend upon God. If we're to see God's purposes accomplished in this place and in further field and in people's lives, in this church, in this local community, in our nation and right across the world, then it's going to take a cooperative effort on the part of all of us as we work towards serving God in these ways. I think that one of the, uh, the great um, ways in which the Christian community can really stand out in our society today is, to, is for us to actually show what it's like for people from all kinds of different backgrounds, from all kinds of different ethnicities, from all kinds of different, uh, you know, sort of, um, um, you know, even theological kind of flavours and that sort of stuff, although we need to be central around the gospel, obviously. But, you know, people of, 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 of young and old, you know, we can have this incredible testimony to the power and the grace and the goodness of God as we work together in that, as we, as we all come together in that. You know, our society today is a very fragmented society, isn't it? And we tend to kind of follow that sometimes in church. We kind of tend to fragment things. One of the things that I've been really encouraged about this year is, is our ladies' ministry. And what they're seeking to do through that is actually to connect the different generations of ladies in our church through, you know, sort of encouraging each other and being a, a friend to one another. It's Project Ray. I think it's brilliant. 
You know, and as a church, that's what we need to do. We need to be reflecting, you know, the fact that each and every one of us are important in God's plans and purpose, no matter our age, no matter our abilities, no matter our, you know, our, um, our, our theological understanding or no matter how well we pray or not pray, all those sorts of things, when God brings us together, we are better together. We are better together as the people of God. Of course, the scriptures remind us that there are ways in which everyone can contribute. Paul's analogy of the body, of the body of Christ, you know, spells out the need for everyone in terms of playing their part. Romans 12 speaks of how we all belong to each other. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of the different parts of the body working together in their different roles so that the body itself functions properly. Ephesians 4, Paul speaks about the necessity for every member to play their part so that we all reach maturity in the faith. If we're to become mature in the faith, if we're to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ, then we need one another to help us in that. I was only talking to, uh, to some people this week, you know, sort of talking about the fact that, you know, when, you know, when we come together in, in a church like this, there are going to be people with personalities that, that really rub against us, you know, that we really struggle with. And there are going to be people who will do things differently to how we might do things. And sometimes those kind of things can, be, can cause such friction that, that the people think, oh, this is too hard, I'm going to go somewhere else. But that's not what, God, what God's purposes are for. God brought us together here so that even if, if, even if we've got these, these things that you know, may sort of be a bit... We're all a bit rough around the edges, by the way, just to, you know, just to make that all clear, in case you're living in uh, some kind of beautiful dreamland. We're all rough around the edges, and God wants all of us to come together, and as we rub up against one another, as we work together, those rough edges get knocked off and they get smoothed out. By the grace of God. So if you're struggling at the moment here in this place, you might be struggling with people, that sort of thing, or struggling with how we do stuff and that sort of thing, maybe it's because God wants to smooth off some of those rough edges in you. We all need each other. And folks, there is no one who is dispensable in this task. We all have a part to play. Everyone is needed. As we look at this particular passage, one of the, the significant things to note is that the people involved in rebuilding the wall were all, from all walks of life and different backgrounds, different skills. I mean, we see priests, we see goldsmiths, we see perfume makers, we see governors, we see men, we see women. Each were performing their different tasks together. Some were directly involved in the building. It's interesting. One of the things which I would have thought would have been in here would have been stonemasons. Yeah? But there's no record of stonemasons in this particular passage. Isn't that fascinating? You know, the experts, where were they? No, it was, it was just everyone coming together using whatever skills, whatever abilities. But, but most, most importantly, it was their availability to be used I mean you would have had people who would have been involved in clearing away the rubble who have been some who would have been cleaning and reshaping stones others helping move materials from one location to the other also those actually physically involved in the rebuilding was any one of those jobs more important than the next no 
because the person who was there actually putting the stone in the wall couldn't have done that unless you, know, you had, would have had people already there clearing away all the rubble. Those, of you who, those who would have been there reshaping and refashioning those stones would be able to be placed in that wall it's, you know, uh, at, the, uh, at the outset. I mean, what would have happened if some of the people there in that day became upset or jealous because their job seemed to be less important or significant than the job of others? Oh, no, I'm not sweeping away that rubble there because I wanted to, do the, I wanted to put the brick in the building there. My, you know, that my, this job doesn't seem anywhere near as significant as, as putting the brick in the wall. But yet the brick could never have gone in the wall if that job hadn't have been done first. I sometimes get asked or sometimes have comments made to me by people saying, I don't know what I can do, Duncan. I feel as though, you know, I don't have anything to contribute. You know, I don't have the energy or the stamina or the physical ability anymore to be, you know, leading the youth group. (laughs) But you know what? Each of those kids in that youth group... Their hearts are only going to be changed by God. And if you are praying behind the scenes for that, that is just as, if not more important, than the role of actually running the activities on a Friday night. Folks, every single one of us can pray. Every single one of us. And as we mentioned there a few weeks ago, you know, prayer isn't the preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. Everyone can do something to help in the building up of the kingdom of God. In the church today, there are all kinds of jobs. There are the upfront jobs, yes, and there are the ones behind the scenes. Neither of them is more or less important than the other. And can I tell you that it often takes a very mature and humble Christian to do the thankless and less noteworthy jobs Around the, around the church. The cleaning, the serving, those sorts of things. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but there are a few people in our church here who, you know, they just, although they have, you know, fairly upfront kind of roles, they will go behind the scenes. And in church here, on a, after, after a Sunday service, they'll be there picking up the rubbish around the place or they'll be picking up the rubbish outside and putting it in bins and things like that, or they'll be sweeping or the vacuuming and things like that. People who faithfully come down here each week and who you know, make sure that the grounds look, look, look really wonderful and the gardens are looked after. Those jobs are no more or less important or significant than the role of preaching the word of God up here on a Sunday. I, I couldn't do this stuff if I had to make sure that all this other stuff was being done around the place. I couldn't sit up there in an office during the week and actually spend hours preparing messages if I had to be out there mowing grass and cleaning gardens or picking up rubbish and things like that around the place. We all have a part to play. The final thing that we can learn from a passage such as this this morning is this. The people were committed to give, them, give of themselves wholeheartedly and unselfishly to this venture. 
This wall wasn't just built by people living in Jerusalem. It was actually, we see that many workers from, were from outside the city itself, Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, Mizpah. What did these people have, you know, what were they going to gain directly from just seeing this wall rebuilt? Yes, certainly it would have, you know, helped certainly the economy of the city, but, but they're living miles away from the, from, from the city of Jerusalem. Why should they be involved in that work you know, as well, of rebuilding this wall? And yet they did, and, they, and some of them actually you know, not only built one, rebuilt one section, they rebuilt many sections. And the thing we need to learn in this is, is that we need to be content to give of ourselves solely in order to be a blessing to others. God calls us to be willing to lay down our lives for him and for others, even if we don't reap any benefits out of it. We shouldn't have this attitude of, what can I get out of this for me? But instead, what can I do to actually help build others You know, one of the things, one of the verses that is in such contrast here in this passage is in verse 5, where it says, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. See that? All of these people who are just faithfully and, and, and heartily working for God, but except for this one group of people from Tekoa, the nobles, the kind of elite or upper class, if you like, of that particular region, they would not stoop to serve their Lord because they were too proud in their hearts. And the thing that is going to undermine the work of God more than anything is pride in a person's heart. that we consider ourselves too good or consider ourselves too important or too special to be doing these things. Unfortunately, today in our churches, we see way too many people who have the attitude that some jobs are just beneath them or that they have more important things to devote their energies and efforts to than the kingdom of God. You know, I sometimes uh, have been sort of said to some of our leaders in the church, you know, sort of there's been stuff that needs doing, but I'm reticent to ask them because I know how busy they are. And it's not just leaders, but it's other people as well. And then I was was actually, I was rebuked by one of our leaders one night at a meeting where he said, Duncan, he said, you know what? He said, what is the most important thing? And I said, serving God. And he said, well, if that's the most important thing, then surely we should be making time to do exactly that, shouldn't we? There are lots of things that are going to compete for our effort, for for our energies and our efforts and our time and all of our resources and things like that. But ultimately, what do we, we need to keep in mind what is of real importance and significance. We need to have an eternal perspective. We need to have a kingdom perspective.
Another one of the big excuses today for people not getting involved in a particular ministry is you'll hear them say, well, that's not where my gifting lies. Did the perfumer's gifting lie in putting a rock in a wall? Did a gold merchant's gifting lie in clearing away rubble? No. Now, I'm all for people, you know, working in areas where God has gifted them for. I, you know, I mean, the scriptures make that clear. But, but one of the things that we need to get over as the people of God is the fact that, you know, if God calls us to a work, then regardless of whether or not we're gifted for it or not, we do it. We make ourselves available. Isn't that true? We just make ourselves available. And you know what? Sometimes when we actually make ourselves available and God takes us out of our comfort zones, those things that are familiar to us, that we know well and that sort of stuff, it's in those times where the power of God is seen so wonderfully in the life of that person. Because it's easy for us to be able to do the stuff which we're good at, which we've got abilities for, which we've got skills for. It's easy to do that. And, you know, we, we can do that stuff standing on our heads most of the time. But the stuff that, you know, where God says, you know what, I want to take you out, I want to actually put you in a place where you have got no idea, where you are completely out of, your, out of your, your comfort zone, completely beyond your own abilities and skills. And God says it's in that place where I'm actually going to shine my glory and my greatness and my power through you there. How many times have we missed out on seeing God work in our lives and work through us to bless others because we have not been prepared to say, God, I'll just do what you want me to do and go where you want me to go. I think we, one day we're going to get to eternity, we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to think, man, how silly was I? I'm going to say another word there. How silly was I? Each of these people were working well and they were working well out of their areas of expertise, but they did so happily to see the work of God advance. And so what we see in this passage today is we see under Nehemiah's leadership, these people built a wall and gates to a city. But can I say that what they did build apart from a wall and gates, is that they built something that would outlive them and would be a testimony to future generations of the grace and glory of God. And folks, that today should be our dream and our goal in this place and in the places God has put each of us. It needs to be our dream and our goal for now and for the years ahead. Because what we are involved in here. In, re, in building God's kingdom is that we are involved in, in, in a task that is, that is building something that is not only important for the here and now, but will, by the grace of God, continue to bear fruit for his kingdom for many years to come. This year, as a church, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the establishing of North Pine Baptist Church. Back there on the 5th of December 1969, the Kalanga Baptist Church was constituted. And that Kalanga Baptist Church grew to be the North Pine Baptist Church and eventually ended up here. 50 years. But you know, this church wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for the many faithful and hard-working believers who have gone before us. 
Because what exists today exists first and foremost by the grace of God, but also because of the countless fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord who were willing to make all kinds of costly sacrifices to see God's name glorified and his kingdom built up here in this local community. And the question we need to ask ourselves today is this. Is will the people who are around in 50 years from now be able to say the same thing about us? Will they be able to say the same thing about us? You know, you, you young adults and teenagers, you know, in 50 years' time, you're going to be grandparents. And your grandchildren, hopefully, will be running around the halls of, this, of these facilities and that sort of thing. Will they be able to look back and say, thank God for these people today who were willing to make whatever sacrifices necessary in order to see the kingdom of God built up and, uh, and furthered here in this place and beyond. That's the challenge. But let's bring it home a little bit closer. Will you, will you personally be willing to sacrificially and faithfully continue to build on the good foundation that has already been laid here in this place so that these future generations in this church can benefit from our efforts as we have benefited from the efforts of those who have gone before us? Will you? What lengths will you be willing to go to for God? in the building up of his kingdom so that the generations in, in 50 years' time are going to be have a, a, not just a wonderful foundation that we have built, but, but they can look back and see, you know what, God had used faithful, faithful people back then and if he's used faithful people back then, he can use us too. There's a few people sitting here in this building today who were there at the beginning of this church back there in Kalanga back in 1969. And I look at those people and their lives, and yes, I see all of the hard work that they've done, but I've seen an incredible testimony to the grace and mercy of God at work in them. We've read through a chapter here of a whole list of names. And today, filling this hall is a group of people who are identified by what? Their name. So in 50 years' time, are people going to be able to look back and say, I thank God for such and such? Because they, together, shoulder to shoulder, with the other people of their day, worked tirelessly for God and for building up his kingdom. There is no greater thing that we can, ha- that we can be involved in today than the building up of the kingdom of God because it will outlast everything. Everything. 
And I pray that each and every one of us, when we get to glory, will be able to stand there before God and, and first of all, praise his name for using us, but also be able to stand before God and say, God, you use me to do that? How awesome was that? How awesome is that? You have got a part to play, folks. Every single one of you have got a part to play. The question is for all of us this morning, will you do it? Will you do it? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you this morning for this passage of Scripture that reminds us afresh that you are a God who sees it all. And you see us. And you see, Lord, all of the things which go on in our lives. And you see all of the, the work that we, we seek to do for you and for your kingdom. And we thank you, first and foremost, for the privilege of being called your children and being able to serve you in this way. Also, Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that the skills and abilities and, and the giftings and, 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 and that sort of thing that you've given us, Lord, they all come from you. And we praise you for those things as well. Lord, we praise you for all the people who have gone before us, who have just so faithfully and so obediently and so sacrificially worked for you and for your kingdom. And Lord, today we want to commit ourselves afresh to standing in that wonderful multitude of people and to say that we have been used by God. And that from this day forward, the, the priority of our lives is going to be to serve you and to be about building the kingdom. And whether that's here in this place, whether that's there in our neighbourhoods, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our schools, universities, or wherever you might take us, Lord, whatever that, 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 that may be, Lord, just help us just to be people who say, use me. Like Isaiah, he said in, in chapter 6, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, let us be those people with that, those kind of attitudes. So in 50 years from now, or even in 100 years from now, people can look back and say, God, thank you. Thank you for those people and for their faithful witness and service of you. Lord, as we conclude our time together this morning, help what we've learnt today not just to disappear into the ether, so to speak, around about us, but help it to really change and transform our hearts so that we will take concrete steps in our lives to be your kingdom builders. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.